Hello, and welcome to this episode of The Fool. I'm your host, Chris Amador. This podcast is a tribute to the people I've met along my journey and to their stories. I've learned a lot from all of them, and I'm really grateful. There's a Japanese proverb, experience should fear the strength of youth. This proverb comes to mind when I think of my Irish friend, Ivan. She is a force of nature, a wonderful creative thinker with an old soul. She studied music at Trinity College in Dublin, and after graduation had a change of heart and dove headfirst into acting. Her exploration through acting took her to upstate New York, where we met about four years ago. In this conversation, we talk about life in Ireland, music, acting, film, horses, self-exploration, ayahuasca travel, and so much more. Ivan is wise beyond her years and an absolute delight. Hope you enjoy this episode. And so it begins. Hi there. Hi. Good to see you. You too. So yeah, it's great to see you. Wow. Look like you matured five years. It happened, finally. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm so ha- I'm so thankful that you're you're doing this. It means a lot to me. Oh, it's such a pleasure. It's such a pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's so nice to connect like this as well. I'm so glad to use in the background as uh, part of part of this. Uh, this is really cool because it's so beautiful there. It really is. It's like people are always mesmerizing me. Proper luck without me. So yeah, that's the Lake Carob, and um, I I probably might end up walking. I'm walking around. I don't like sitting. So um, at some point you might get more of a view, better view. Oh, that'd be There's great. all forest forest around the other side as well. Um, so. But so were you living in Glasgow this entire time, or were you living in? Uh... No, this is Galway. Galway. Oh, I'm sorry, uh, Galway. Sorry. Right. Uh, I've been since lockdown. So since this time last year, I was here this time last year till about July. Then I moved to Dublin. I went up to Dublin. So I'm in Dublin most of the time, but I just came back this week. Mm. Um, and then I was back another few weeks ago, and just kind of ended up staying for a few weeks longer. Then then popped up. I'm in between the two now. Because, you know, not, nothing's happening in the cities. So um, it just... It also, I think I'm so much more sensitive now to cities that I really feel the need to... not. Yeah, I actually, I suppose I do feel my body kind of going out of sync and it, it, needs, to, it needs nature to kind of recalibrate it. So um, I'm definitely realizing it's part of my lifestyle that I'll always need. If I'm spending too much time in the city, I, you just got to go balance out in the countryside. For sure. Did you grow up there or? Yeah. 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 So indeed, but you, when did you feel the itch that you needed to get out? Oh, I actually had that from a really young age. Myself and each of my siblings were 11. We all spent three months in France to mm-hmm. learn French um, on our own. So that gave us independence, I think, from a very young age. Um, and our, our parents are really like easygoing and encouraging. So we... I think all of us kind of had that interest that expands beyond our own our own sphere mm-hmm. um so all all teenage years I definitely had that sensation that Galway is too small and it's you know the kind of classic thing as well though that if you go away and you then you start to appreciate your own hometown but right growing growing up it was like ah oh, this is too small there's not enough you know like at least in the cities you've got so much choice and culture and there's so many things to do but then it kind of comes back around and then now older I realized just the importance and the value and all the treasures that I saw in the city that actually exist in the country so wow so what 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 is so boring about Galway yeah I when I was younger I would have said 
that there just wasn't enough things for young people to do in that you the well there was you're the things that you do were your extracurricular things so you'd play sport and you do music that was the kind of like every school child plays on some type of sports team and does some kind of music or um so but the, what I found was missing was just kind of more cultural events I think and um like there, there's no gallery here or no museum or um, I suppose yeah that's it not enough culture but Galway is also known to be a really cultural place but I just in general I suppose it's in relation to things as well you know comparing I could, even though I was but I can't really compare it to say a big city like London Paris New York even Dublin there's inevitably mm-hmm. going to be more things um but I think it's just kind of the nature of teenagers too. I suppose I was complaining in that, like my friends, all you could do really was just people would just go drinking all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and teenage drinking is is the norm. Mm. Um, now, what's the drinking age in, in Ireland? 18, but 18. Re- but for most, probably 13, 14. <laughs> <laughs> Brothers, yeah. siblings getting the, the alcohol for the for the young ones? or do you know, it's not even that. It, it's... Like the trend here is, yeah, young people will ask randomers in the street sometimes to go into the off license and get them their drink. Mm-hmm. So it, does, it doesn't even have to be a sibling or someone you know. Really? That easy? Yeah. Wow. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a stereotype of, uh, you know, drunk Irish. Is, is, that, yeah. is that far from the stereotype or, or it's, is it just, it's like a pub life. It's a pub situation. People just love going to pubs and, and chewing the fat. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny thing. I actually found it really funny when I was living in lots of different places because there is that stereotype of the Irish drinking, going out, party. But in comparison to other European places anyway, I think we're, we have this reputation, but our style is different in that I think Irish people drink so much so then that they're, they're passed out by like three or four o'clock, whereas Europeans, like they party the whole night. Like all Irish nightclubs close at two. Which is really, really early. Yeah. And wow. I just think it's so ironic because we're known to be this party bunch. But nightclubs close, close at two, half two, the latest. Um, and then there's people trying to drag people back to house parties and stuff. But the, yeah, it, it does live up to the, people just love the drink. They really mm-hmm. do. And I, I feel two ways about it in that I, I do think there is an element of drink of really bringing people together. Like the kind of romantic view of it that, it brings people together. It's a socializing thing. It connects people. And whether you like it or not, it does disarm people and brings mm-hmm. them closer together when they're drinking. Then the other side of it is just that it becomes abused and people people don't know how to let go without the drink as well. So Right. Right. Um, yeah, I do think there's there's two sides to it. And you know, when when it gets ugly with drinking, most most of the time people get too drunk. Yeah. But I still do see a joy. It's really nice say, if you see people who are quite timid and quiet and then they're drinking and you actually see them open up, yeah. even though it's under a, a kind of a false guiding way there, they're still feeling a freedom. And that's why most people drink is, is that freedom that they get and the confidence. Yeah. You wouldn't know this, but I, I have a really terrible social anxiety. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, really? I used, oh, terrible, terrible. And um, I used to drink quite a bit to be able to uh, you know, lubricate and yeah, I don't need it anymore, but mm. I, I still get very, very fearful of having to talk to people. Yeah. So, but it's, you know, alcohol used to be a way for me to lubricate. It is. And it, it does do that. Like there's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And do you, do you find then that it helped you? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it helped yeah. me bring my guard down. And if I was making an ass of myself, the excuse is, you know, alcohol. The excuse is, I know. You know yeah. It's like, oh, he's, he was drunk or something rather than, no, he's just an asshole, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, but I just had no idea how to, how, to, how to deal socially with people, how to talk to people. I had no clue, you know. And was, it was that because, was it, think, the way you were brought up? I mean, I would say the situation yeah, when you were younger. Mm. Yeah, very much. I was very much isolated as a kid. I was, mm-hmm. uh, I was brought up a Christian, and uh, I did not know how to read until I think it was in third grade. Wow. Yeah, and then I finished my first book in eighth grade. And then in 17, I finished my first novel. Oh my God. Wow. Yeah. So I was very isolated. You know, I was told to believe that Jesus will take care of you. Don't worry about it. You know, everything that you read is from the devil. And, you know, it was all that. Wow. Yeah. Very cult like mentality. So, yeah. Um, so when I come into, come into this world, I have no idea what this world is all about. I'm about to graduate high school. So, Jeez, that's a, that's a lot. That's pretty scary. Uh, yeah. as well. like, so yeah. I needed something to help me socially get along with people, understand people. Yeah. So, but I mean, I still have my fears. I just get past it. I just like jump in the deep end. That's it. It is. But it, what I found interesting was that um, everyone has these fears, but nobody talks about them. Yeah. And, and then alcohol can come to the rescue straight away. Because I actually didn't drink when all my friends were when I was younger. I still, I, there was no, it wasn't kind of being good or like uh, following the rules. I just had no interest in drinking until I was 18. But mm-hmm. what I noticed was the big question. People would be like, how can you be, how can you go out without drink? Or how can you, A, be around people who are drunk and B, be comfortable without the drink, you know? And then right. I, I think the benefits, the gain from not drinking all through my teenage years was that I, I at least, I, I felt fine, obviously, going out without drink. Whereas you'd have friends now and people who wouldn't be able to go out without drink because of the social anxiety, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Is that because you just had the confidence to, without alcohol, just be able to go and approach people? Yeah, I suppose. I, I was just, I don't know, like, because I definitely had my insecurities and anxieties. And I, I think I had a, a, a fusion of being very confident, but also underneath it, not having a, a strong foundation of the confidence, because I definitely had, um, would, would have been very self-conscious. But it was, yeah, it was covered by a kind of a, an ungrounded confidence. Mm-hmm. That I think now as as you go through life and experience things, now I've smoothed it out and kind of gotten to the roots of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I suppose I, I was just having kind of energetic enough to be running around and dancing. <laughs> Not <being laughs> so what, yeah. what was your, and you said in, in school, there was music and sports to entertain the teenagers. What, what was your yeah. music and what was your sport? Uh, so music was, so piano was my first instrument. I started that about, uh, nine or ten mm-hmm. and then about 12 um my mom always encouraged us to have another uh another instrument that you could play in an orchestra with a group mm-hmm. so i was like okay what i play and then i thought hey lisa simpson saxophone <laughs> <laughs> so i took up the saxophone and but i resented every minute of it because it was so big and i was so embarrassed carrying around my saxophone so i gave that up and started the flute instead so i could put it in my bag nice um so then yeah i played flute and piano all up until um all through school and college but i didn't really enjoy the playing of the music as much i was very disciplined and mm-hmm. i loved music but there was kind of a disconnect between 
my feel for the music, like me enjoying the effect of music when I was playing I, versus when I was listening to it and the power of music that I really am, am passionate about. So, and what was interesting is like, I only started acting when I was 24. And when I started acting, I realized, oh, these are the feelings I was meant to feel when I was playing music in that, mm-hmm. you know, the connection and the passion and actually really enjoying it and feeling the feeling the music as opposed to I'm practicing my music. Wow. So, yeah, because I did play music all through. I even studied music in college as well, actually. Nice. What did you, so, yeah. what, what was your, what was your, what were the musicians that you gravitated towards? It was funny, actually. Uh, all through school, I, I only listened to classical music, really. Like, yeah. and I uh, never knew what was going on with the, the mainstream world and pop world. Even in my car, when people come in, I'd be like, classic Lyric FM, guys. And the pop <laughs> We'd be like driving, going out or something on a night out. And I'd be like Mozart and Beethoven. But um, I also really liked Irish music and jazz as well. Really? Jazz? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I have quite a fusion. I wouldn't grab, I don't actually, um, I would say that my what I'm pulled to in music is really about feeling now as, a, as opposed to genre. Mm-hmm. And when I got older, when I was in college, it's like something realized that I actually adore pop music <laughs> and the guilty pleasure of liking pop was lifted. And I love listening to pop music so pop, much. Pop music meaning eighties, nineties. And uh, that, but also like modern pop, mainstream pop, um, definitely nineties. I mean like a nineties song, I think it's just foolproof for pick me up music, Backstreet Boys. <laughs> like there would be times when I'd be studying in college and I just have Backstreet Boys on repeat getting me through. Um, <laughs> but even, even pop music today, like I could be listening to say some classical music, but the next I'll have loads of Taylor Swift songs on or Louis Capaldi or One Direction even. Um, now I'm just shameless in my love for feel good, cringy pop music. Well, it makes um, you feel good, right? It does. And that's what yeah. I say about as well. Cause I think there's a lot of snobbery in the music world, I think, and people really belittle pop music. But I just think it, it's, it's serving a purpose. And mm-hmm. obviously it's, it's mainstream for a reason, you know, that it has a mass following because it's making people feel whatever. So now I really am. Um, I like to vouch for pop music all the time. <laughs> yeah. What are the top, what are the top five? Ooh, that's a good one. Top five would be... Um, so there's an Irish band called Picture This. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I do love the One Direction feel goods. And I'll, and there's a, another guy. So the Irish guy, again, from One Direction, Niall Horan. I like his music too. And oh, I'm actually so bad at asking when people ask me, say your top whatever. And... Oh, Backstreet Boys, the nineties. Really? Yeah. Wow. Love them. <laughs> and um really enjoying Lewis Capaldi, I think, at the moment too. Nice. You yeah. said classical. Who 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 do you like in the classical? Mm. I like Debussy. Mm-hmm. Um and I kind of depends what mood I'm in. And sometimes it's like uh I don't like their whole work or their whole canon, but I like bits of it. You know, like the, there's some Beethoven, like I think it's num- symphony number seven that I really like, but wouldn't be into all of his symphonies. Um, and then, oh God, what's the other one? Uh, 
I never say his name right. Dvorak. He's mm-hmm. Hungarian. And um, that's all I got at the moment. I haven't. I go through phases of music, so I haven't mm-hmm. listened to classical much recently. Uh, yeah. I've actually been listening to a good bit of kind of I think eighties music. I really love film music, actually. Yeah, like John Williams. I think his mm. his music is quite you know it's very instrumental, so it'd be kind of classical esque. But, I mean, uh, you you can't you can't think of Star Wars without the grand opening of dun, 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 you know. I oh I I, I it's another and Jaws I love. and Jaws as well. It's, I mean, Christ and Harry Potter. Yeah, Harry Potter. And uh, is he? I think he's Indiana Jones as well. He's he? Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. So a e. lot of film composers. Oh yeah. yeah. E. T. I really like film music composers actually, and there's Danny Elfman and Alexander Dipla. Uh, but yeah, I actually I was talking about they'd probably be one of my top genres because I just they're so evocative, you know, because it's telling mm-hmm. a story too. And it's another reason why I adore film is because it's it's a mass collaboration, but the music element of it is so mm-hmm. riveting. So where did you go to college? I went to Trinity in Dublin. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Damn. That's no slouch of a school. Yeah, I'm so smart, Chris, don't you know? <laughs> well, yes, I knew that. But I just, yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, no, but yeah. I mean, you must be, were you like a, a studier? Did you just study quite a bit? Did you... Yeah, well, I think in school, so yeah, I studied a lot. I was quite academic, but with a lot of resistance in that I really hated the school system because of how limited it is and how narrow-minded it is and it's only promoting and nurturing one type of intelligence which is um academia but you know we've got so many other types of intelligence like it doesn't cater for the entrepreneurs the really good business people or the emotional intelligence intelligence of people and even the fact that you know you can study really hard and get the right grades to become a doctor or something well, you might have good analytical skills or diagnostic skills or people skills to deal with your patients and everything. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I had a lot of frustration with the, with the school system and I just found it really extremely limiting to a child's development of their own ideas. Really? Um, yeah. I, wow. I could go on for a long time about how wrong our education learning system is. That blows my mind because every I, I've met people who graduated from Cambridge, from Oxford. Like you're the first person I met who went to Trinity College. Yeah. And and everyone I've ever talked to said, "Oh, I tried to get into Trinity, they couldn't do it." So uh, oh, I mean, okay. it was it wasn't a slight on you that you're dumb or anything like that. It was just like, wait, what? What? I met somebody from Trinity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm very surprised. I'm very surprised that they they it's very narrow thinking. Yeah, and that's just my my um, philosophy on it. I'm not belittling. Uh, academia I just think it's mm-hmm. it's to prioritize as the main one for everyone mm-hmm. um and yeah I, I I loved and the school that I was in was great it was, it was one of the most liberal schools in I'd say in our country um it's like we didn't have to wear a uniform because in Ireland and the UK and everything most schools you wear uniforms whereas we were the school with no uniform and you got to go uptown for lunch and things um and oh, then that would Trinity, drive me crazy what being able to go out no they're saying uniform is you know fuck that no way oh no yeah way. but it's just the standard thing here and people don't question it but it is so debilitating and restrictive but um yeah and then my like trinity college life was amazing it was great fun and um i i, I wouldn't change what i studied but or i wouldn't change going to college there or anything 
it's just the whole grand picture of the system that I would, I would rather be different. <laughs> do other people share your point of view when it comes to academia? Yeah, I think they do. Um, a lot of people do. When, when you discuss it and you kind of realize, yeah, God, we really, you don't have much choice. You know, you think you have a choice you, to pick your subjects, but you have a choice to pick certain subjects to study in an academic manner, you know? Like you can pick your history or geography or biology, whatever, but it's still an int intellectual approach to a subject versus like there's no there's no space for like learning about outdoors, nature and things. And that could be your skill. But when you're in school, you don't have that chance to develop that skill. Right, right. Um, so anyways, your question was, do people share my mentality? And yeah, a lot of people do. We don't really question it because the system is just so ingrained and rooted. Um, so what it is, like your, the aspect of the academia, if I'm hearing you correctly, the aspect of academia is what they do very well at Trinity. But when mm. it comes to like teaching farming, when it comes to teaching uh, applicable skills such as carpentry, whatever, something like that, it's, it's not, of course, Trinity wouldn't be teaching carpentry, but like mm. applicable skills that, that apply to life, it, it, it's not there. Yeah, it's not there. And I, that wouldn't be a criticism of Trinity or any college because the nature of a university is, is to go read a, a certain subject. It's more a criticism of the overall system that we're only encouraged to, not even encouraged, it's like the way is to go to college and get a university degree. But a university degree doesn't actually apply to a lot of our choices then. You know, people realize, oh, I didn't even want to do that or study that. Um, right. But that was the only path mm -hmm. that you had to get this, this type of degree. And then they realize, actually, I wanted to set up a business or I wanted to uh, I don't know, be a farmer. Or So, again, it's not a criticism on the institutions. It's that we're all, they tell everyone to go to these universities. And then there's only a small percentage of those people who realize, actually, yeah, I do want to keep studying in this manner, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I think each university has its, its subjects that it, it, it offers and not every university needs to offer every subject, you know, the city is we all. So when, when was it that you decided to go from studying music to studying acting? Right. So uh, I, yeah, I studied music and history of art and architecture. So it was a, mm -hmm. a, double, a double major. Um, that was four years. And then so I got me to like 23, I think. And then I really wanted to go to the Caribbean. I just, I had this draw to the Caribbean for really? since I was 12. Yeah. I was obsessed with like cacao beans and wanted to learn about cacao and chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> so um, then after college, I so we finished the college year finishes in May in Ireland but I spent the rest of the year um at my parents house in Galway and just kind of it's kind of a farm here so working the land let's say and working with the horses and planting vegetables and all that stuff and then in January I went to the Caribbean and Costa Rica for six months mm. so uh and that's it was just that transition that the idea of acting actually dropped into my head I'd never thought of it before. And it wasn't even that, oh, this isn't something I'm not interested in. It was, or that I'm not doing. It was something that I distinctly was like, I would never act. Like I didn't act in any of our school play performances. It was just the furthest thing on my radar. Mm -hmm. um, and then, but I've always been really interested in self-development and transformation and really delving into yourself. Mm -hmm. And I had this moment around November of that year 
of watching two films with Michael Fassbender back to back. And just this light bulb of, of like, wow, how much self-excavation does that person, so in this case, Michael Fassbender, have to do to undo the patterns that we carry out repeatedly as in, what, in the way that we think this is who we are. Like mm. you have to let go of all those patterns, break the barriers, the mental barriers. You just really have to do such a deep dive into yourself. And I thought, whoa, maybe acting is something I'm actually interested in. And then after being, when I was in Costa Rica, my friends there um, were really playful and fun and uh, just it was different to the friends I had here. And they, they kind of brought out more of that play in me. And when I came back, then I just decided to try acting. So that was July of, oh, I don't know, 2015, oh no, 2016. And uh, then I went from there. And the minute I tried it, the minute, it's like the minute I uncovered the dust from it, from it I just realized oh of course that's what I'm meant to do of course and right. just since then it's just been 100% that so that's been up until now um, and I didn't I really didn't want to go to a drama school I was so resistant to being in another institution like a I just finished my degree mm-hmm. and b and I couldn't wait to get out and b for me the process was about like I it didn't feel right at that time to go into a school to learn how to free myself Mm-hmm. you know so I curated my my courses and things and then the first course that I went to was the Michael Chekhov one in, in New York wow yeah yeah well yeah I, I mean as a kid how I learned how to swim I think I mentioned this in several podcasts that that I, I was too impatient and mm. I, I wanted to swim right away so my mom was cleaning houses the next door was um, this young kid Bucky his parents you know stayed home by himself so I go over next door and play and he had a pool and I stayed in the shallow end and I, and I knew I could doggy paddle, but I just wasn't thrilled with it. You know, I didn't like it. So I went to the deep end, I jumped in and that's how I really learned how to swim. Wow. Yeah. So it seems like you, you're kind of doing the same thing. I definitely have that mentality as well. I'm just like, I want to do it. I, I, want, I don't want to be kind of um, sheltered learning in this sheltered space all the time. I want to go out and do it. I want to go out and do it. But there, there's the balance because there's so much to learn in the classroom mm-hmm. um, and I, yeah, I was very impatient, but was kind of forced to be patient because you don't just say, I want to be an actor and you get a role, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. well, That'd be nice. Does, yeah, yeah, and it does work out like that for some people magically. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I really, actually, do you know what? I remember that feeling. So the first time I did it, it was quite like that, actually. When I, there's a the Galway Film Festival. I don't know if you've heard of that. It's a quite a well-known film festival in in Ireland, definitely, and probably known a bit about internationally. Like, we get good films here. Mm-hmm. And they have an actor's workshop, but it's generally for people who have been acting for a bit, and it's with casting directors. But I decided I'd just go do that. So that that really plunged me into it. That was, like you are saying, you know, jumping into the deep end. But I remember that feeling of being really uncomfortable, but also thinking, this is where I'm meant to be. Like mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoyed the discomfort and I was excited to go on the journey of learning how to be comfortable in the discomfort. Well, I mean, the human condition has six needs and I, I you know, because I'm, I've been rocked in the head way too many times, so I don't really know them all right now, <laughs> but one of, one of them is uh, uncertainty. So it seems like that is actually one, the one or two need that you need to have is uncertainty. Am I, mm. am I, am I judging correctly? To an extent. I think it's like maybe comfort in the uncertainty. Mm. That's kind of a paradox, but 
like you you want to jump in the deep end but you want to hold on to something at the same time is that it um like i just like going for it but i suppose knowing that i i think there was a a moment when it crossed where i didn't mind being bad let's say or being um yeah the only way i can describe it describe it is when i got comfortable being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. in times or at the start i just remember when the camera was on me and feeling like oh i don't really know this yet this is really uncomfortable but i want to learn it um do you think because i was i was in ireland back in jeez i it's all meshed together. I mean, back back in the late nineties. Back back then. Yeah, way back then, before you were born. Well, when you were a baby, <laughs> I guess. Um, do you do you think there's pressure and like social pressure in Ireland to be perfect, to be, to not stand out, to? Yeah, no, I I do think there's a lot around that. I think in Ireland, there's definitely uh, a fear of failure, so yeah. people don't really want to put themselves out there because if you kind how you might be criticized and I think Irish people like the comfort of you know the kind of ash will be grand we'll just stay doing this mm-hmm. just keep you know if we're content why would we mess things up right and I, I think there is a deep-rooted kind of subconscious maybe jealousy or uh, it's like in wanting what the the other person what your neighbor has there's so, a lot of envy? I think, like, very subtle and obviously not in the conscious realm. And I think, like, if, if you said somebody Irish people are envious, that would be, like, that's nonsense. Because, yeah, it's not fully fully that. It's just, it's, okay, I don't know how to, if it will come across clearly, but, say, in Ireland we have this word called notions. So if somebody wants to, say, be a, an actor or they have ambitions to go to America and be successful this people Irish people would say oh look at the notions you know like the notions they, huh? yeah notions on her like oh the kind of cheek of her to expect to dream so high and to have mm. such high ambitions um so I think because there's an element of really groundedness from Irish people but I think then that's why a lot of people Irish people who are successful internationally they have that good balance because they had the the ambition and the drive that set them apart from Irish people, but then they have the beautiful groundedness and kind of down to earthness of the Irishness that mm-hmm. I think then they, when they do become world famous, they're often quite liked. <laughs> they're very yeah. likable. Yeah. I mean, Michael Fassbender, I, I, I think he's an amazing actor. Yeah. Yeah. Really I do good. as well. And um, there's like, I, yeah, I think our Irish actors, there's a lot of really, really good Irish actors. Because another way to describe it actually is somebody, it's just a short story. Somebody says, so there, if there's a person who has a big, massive, rich house on top of the hill, an American will see it and say, oh my God, who lives up in that house? Like, wow, what do they do to be so successful? Whereas an Irish person will see it and like, oh, would you look at your one up there with a the big house? <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Yeah. it's funny i mean my mom is uh my mom was uh part scottish and a little bit irish but that's kind of something she would say yeah you yeah. never really want to celebrate someone's success and win you're just like oh god they have it they have it all <laughs> so i want to get back to uh when you went said you went to the caribbean or caribbean oh, yeah. whatever have you said did you eventually get back to your uh, find out or work with cacao i did a bit but it was uh, it and what was, was that like 
<laughs> it wasn't as um, cacao obsessed as I expected because I got good other distractions. So initially, I actually detoured first to Costa Rica because so I'm actually really into the outdoors and growing and what I think called permaculture, uh, which is maybe you've heard of that. It'd be quite um, mm-hmm. It would be in Hutford, you, where you guys are. I'd say a lot of people around there are doing that type of farming where it's just yeah. learning about the whole ecosystem. And Costa Rica has a lot of people doing really, really interesting things with, with the earth and with nature and good organic farms and things like that. Mm. So my mom kind of actually kept encouraging me. She said, like, Ivan, if you're going to be over that part of the country. or part- Oh, no. So first, I'm into horses as well. And I there was this horse trainer, particular horse trainer, who is um, very proficient with natural horsemanship and learning the language of the horse. And she was doing a course in Costa Rica. So I wrote to those stables and asked, could I intern with them and help out with the course and also learn and all that. So I was going to Costa Rica. I was detouring to Costa Rica for four weeks and then going to go on to the Caribbean. But then my mum, like I explained there, encouraged me to stay in Costa, in, yeah, Costa Rica because if I'm interested in all the permaculture, Costa Rica is one of the best places for all this stuff. There's lots of people doing really interesting things there. So fine. I was ignoring her the whole time. Like, no, I want to get to the Caribbean, Caribbean. But eventually I listened to her mm-hmm. and I said I'd stay for maybe two months there. And of course, you know, your mom always knows. And it was the best thing. I ended up staying for most of the time in Costa Rica because I met these really amazing people, these great friends. I worked on permaculture farms so there was cacao trees, but there wasn't, there wasn't, it wasn't only cacao, it was lots of other stuff as well. And um, did some farming there and um, just lived with a really beautiful community of people, lots of foreigners, internationals, all coming to mm-hmm. kind of reject society, I suppose. Um, living really simple life there, exploring that kind of wild living. We lived in a small cabin in the forest, kind of, well, not, no, not fully in the forest, but in a village beside trees and forest um and anyway then eventually I got to the Caribbean for another three months or two I can't remember and I was in Dominica mainly which is a tiny island it's not Dominican Republic which a lot of people think but it's a Uh small island between oh my god I'm kind of forgetting now I think Guadeloupe and St. Lucia or Martinique around that area anyway um and there's only about 70,000 people on the island it's tiny but I stayed there for ages and did lots of permaculture farming there, you know, volunteering on nice farms, working with different types of trees, some cacao trees. So my, yeah, my cacao ambition was, was hijacked by other things. And hmm. um, yeah. And then that's, that's what I did there. Nice. So when you, you said you, you grew up on a, with horses in a farm, mm. I, I, I believe now more than ever, you are the little sister I've always wanted. <laughs> I said the buzzwords. <laughs> because I love, 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 love horses. That is my end goal. My end game is to get horses and have like a little bit oh, of vegetable. Really? Yeah. And fruit, fruit fruit trees and stuff like that. So yeah. what, how, what, what age did you start riding horses? Well, um, forever <laughs> from, from one or two. I'm, we're lucky that my mom took a massive interest in it. She was always really interested in them when she was young. So then when she was married and in, in a space to to get going with them she kind of she started with the horses um and then our kind of farm just grew from that so uh yeah I've been on horseback all my life really 
nice and, and all our family is so it's not just one interest of ours so that's why it's when it's a full family immersed in it you really get the full lifestyle of it as opposed to it being just a hobby or a pastime or an extracurricular thing you know like mm-hmm. having horses it's a lifestyle it's not it's not just uh the one activity of of that hour you spend a day with the horse you know it's, it's right. full on Right, because it's a creature. You can't if it needs more time, but it needs more time. You can't exactly just like... like you can spend. You could be just looking after the horse without ever riding them or doing any exercise with them, and that's already so much time. You know. Right. Yeah. They're, they're, yeah. It just it freaks me out when people just think that they get a horse and then just oh let's let it go free. It'll eat away. And it's like no, it needs a time. It needs a you know, like, it needs, needs connection, time. just like we all do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As with all species, nearly like you need connection. Do you write English or Western? English. You do? So, well, it's kind of, that's a quick answer. Yeah. I brought up writing English. You know, Western would be, I don't know, I don't even know where to find Western in, in Ireland or Europe or sorry, in, within the UK. It'd be very much a niche thing. But so, yeah, I grew up writing English. But when I was about 18, I got into natural horsemanship. Mm-hmm. So that would be, that would be more in line with the Western. But it's, it's kind of a thing in itself, though in that it's about learning the language of the horse and the body language and really learning how to interact with the horse and not just ride it as an exercise or as a sport. Mm-hmm. And, and that would have shifted my, my perception now on working with horses and riding in a, in a saddle and a bridle that now I see how restricting that is. And you want more of say the Western style of the loose reins and just really feeling, feeling the, the movement of the horse and things as opposed to, pulling the reins exactly and there's a way more to it there's way more to, to it yeah. than, than just pulling them you know telling the horse go different directions and stuff it's it, you know it can it, horses can have social anxiety they can have yeah you know, you know like being brought up in the horse world the horse competition world I, so i did competition riding all, all my teenage life as well and um, was big into it but just when you learn it's so contradictory to the horse's nature mm-hmm. right the majority i like i mean there's a lot of really amazing um, top competition riders, you know, show jumpers and dressage riders, but there's very little who really develop a proper relationship with the horse and mm-hmm. understand the nature of the horse and this notion of even how you interact with the horse to get them to do the exercises. The basic thing is you're taught to, you know, kick to get them to go, pull the reins, turn them left and right. And if you step back and like, wait, this animal can feel a fly land on their hindquarters. Why do I think I need to give them a kick to get them to move? Exactly. Give them, give them a tug left to get them to turn left. It's just, it's really misunderstand, misunderstood interaction with horses, I think. that, And also it kind of goes back to, like we were saying, you know, when you wanted to swim, you just jumped in the deep end. Horsing, horse riding, I think, is something that a lot of people just really want to do, but they don't give the time to develop the real feel and connection and understanding of a horse. Mm-hmm. And then it just ends up being this transaction as opposed to a proper interaction. Yeah. Because every horse is different. Every yeah. horse has ever met is everyone is different. It's got this little, some you might find friendly, some, you know, a little bit guarded and they're just going to be that way. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, I just wish people would treat horses better. I really do. Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you on that. Totally. Totally. Especially because it's a sport industry too. So a lot of them are really mistreated within that realm. So now getting back to, your uh the change going into into acting i i looked up last night a few things about acting in in ireland and hopefully you can just 
you know, either prove or dispel the rumors or what sure. I read. Um, Irish, from what I, I wrote down, so Irish theater seems to be attractive to already established works rather than original stuff. Like they, they want to do stuff like um, A Streetcar Named Desire. They'd rather do like oldies but goodies or st stuff that's already been established rather than original works. Yeah, I think there is that. There's also that sentiment I'd feel amongst the public that people would rather see classics and established works than the new plays. You know, the people going to see the new plays are people who are specifically interested in this field, you know, the artists already, but the, the kind of standard audience, they want to see the plays that they already know. And I think there Irish people, I suppose there'd be good enough knowledge of Irish playwrights. People know, see, the, the theatres in Ireland, they do promote and prioritise a lot of the Irish playwrights and the Irish plays. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, Shaw and Oscar Wilde and Yeats. Um, well, no, Yeats isn't really a playwright, but uh, <laughs> I mean, um, but they're, they're, those plays would be on more often than the new plays. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, so, but I, I also read that there was um, like the Abbey Theater. Yeah, there's some drama behind that as well because I mm -hmm. guess they only hire established actors rather than actors like if somebody's really good like yourself, really good, and they want to apply, and you could be the best for that part, but they're going to hire somebody who's already established. Is that true? Uh, I suppose I I kind of is. I don't. I can't speak from being a, a very experienced in the industry, but mm. it is, even though it's a small industry, it's kind of hard to get, to get going and get motoring. And with that, because I think also because the, maybe the industry is, it's, it's still always fighting the battle to kind of get, to get funding and get seen. So when you get the established actors in, you probably get, it draws more, more of a crowd and also it's maybe more reliable for them to just get actors who already know that like a lot of theater companies do tend to work with the same actors. Mm -hmm. The Abbey, like they'll know, Oh, this actor, they know how to work with that actor. Or there's another very famous company called Druid theater company. And they tend to work with the same actors as well. So it does kind of take a lot for there to be uh, a suitable role that they might look at new faces, you know? How does that make you feel as, a, as an actor? Do you, do you feel like it's unfair? Do you feel like it, there needs to be more roles for women? How, mm. how, what, how, what is that? how does that make you feel? Um, yeah, it's a good question because I, I suppose there is that feeling there of, oh, I do think they need to, there needs to be more opportunities. But I can understand wanting, like as a production team and a director, like wanting to work with the same actors. You know, there's something to be said when you find uh, in any field, when you find collaborators, you just want to do more work with them. Mm -hmm. So uh, I would definitely understand that too. But then there's another part of me as well that kind of just, I, yeah, I suppose I wouldn't think about it too much and that I'm more sur surrendered to the process. Like I just know that this is just the way you just keep doing the work. And when, when a right opportunity comes along and you're still, and you're doing the work, you'll, you'll be there and you'll be ready. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, yeah, I, we all know it's not an easy, straightforward and instant profession to choose. So as most actors say, once you're ready to kind of stand in for the long haul, mm -hmm. um, I suppose, I, yeah, I surrender to that so that I wouldn't be that, wouldn't have too much passionate thoughts of, oh, they need to give more opportunities to, 
new young up and coming actors because I do believe it, but I'm I've also just accepted it. Well, I know people like to work with established actors. It's it's a it's a way it's a it's a process, as they say. It's not a marathon. It's or it's not a sprint. It's a marathon, and um, it's about doing the work. It's a lifestyle as opposed to just getting the jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. How come you wanted to avoid the whole uh, the the whole um, theater group acting? Yeah. A few reasons. One being, I just really love film. I love the medium of film. I've always been really excited by what film does to audiences. I, I prefer the effect that film has on on me and on audience members than theatre does. And this isn't to say anything to put theatre down at all or say I don't like theatre. It's just my preference. And I get more moved personally by mm. films and movies. Well, it's so like the, sa- the saxophone. You like the saxophone, but it's, it's just not your thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I still do. I still do love theater. And a lot of the training I did was all theater training and mm-hmm. theater groups. Um, and I love the experience of going to the theater and everything. But it's just not as strong for me as the film medium. I, I really love the film medium. I love the mass collaboration of it too. And like I already mentioned, I adore the music that goes with it. And in terms of acting moments and things. I'm more moved and stirred by those really personal, intimate moments on screen mm-hmm. than, than, the, than what I feel on stage. And like at the base of both, the, of both mediums, it's the same training for the actor, but there's a different, I think there's a different color and it, it, there's definitely different skills that you need in both fields and neither mm-hmm. is, is better than the other, I think. But there's just different skills and I, I would be, yeah, I'd have a strong opinions on that, that they are different mediums, even though you do learn the same skills there's a point where they kind of go in two different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I, yeah, I like what I, I like seeing the intimacy and the up closeness of the personal moments on screen. And I like with the screen acting as well, the, that you're on this real set most of the time, as opposed to being on a stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also just like the, the spontaneity that can come from film that I know with with theater as well it's like discovering it new every night and you know, you do you do go for that too but I just yeah there's something more exciting I, f- I find in film and then on top of that would be I think there were, I had a bit of resistance towards the formal theater training because sometimes I found it sometimes it can be a bit restricting mm-hmm. in as with anything that you learn I think there's a, it's, a, it's hard to get that balance of teaching a student and teaching them the, the structure as well as giving room for their unique colours and individuality to come out versus just teaching them a way to do it and then kind of dampening down their, their instinct and intuition and their mm-hmm. uniqueness. Right. And some, sometimes some theatre trainings that I did well, actually, I suppose that's just some actor training, really. But it, often it's it's theatre schools that would have that I would have found the classical training very limiting. I don't know. Sometimes I say things that I don't when I vocalize them. Then I'm like, actually, I don't really mean that. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, what happens. I mean, yeah. one of the things I love about free speech is the fact that you've got to think it out, and when you verbally express it, it's like, oh wait, I didn't mean to say that, or yeah. did I just say that? 
Should I just exactly. You know, I feel like I just have to come with a disclaimer of I might say things that <laughs> two seconds later I, I don't really believe. But yeah, well, that's but called that's being not, human. So yeah, it's true, and I yeah. just th- I do think that we live most of the time. People are always trying to prove right or wrong, and it's very hard mm-hmm. just to have a discussion without finding fault in people's words. Exactly. Um, so yeah, like about the other thing, like, I I love the classical training. I've done a lot of it too. Um, but sometimes, yeah, I don't know. I'm just not drawn to the classicalness, but I'll go through phases of being really drawn to it as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm pretty sure I will do some theatre work, but at the moment I'm just wildly passionate about film. So what are your favourite films? What, what are your favourite genres? Ooh, again, this is the question of what are your favourite? And I'm like, I've never seen a movie in my life. I don't know what to answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I, here's when, when I was back back in 2000 it's like it was no, 2005 2006 i was really into uh wwe wrestling i was really okay. into it totally yeah. into it loved all you know loved the rock loved all the people and stuff i i know it's fake it was just entertainment you know what i mean talk about live theater you know yeah. yeah um and so one time i was stuck at the memphis airport and so were like 99.9 of the wd wwe wrestlers they were all there no way that was my dream just, uh, like yeah, here I was, you know, here are all these yeah. big dudes and so could not remember a single name. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> could not remember a single name. I blanked on everyone's yeah. name. And when I got on the plane, it's like boom, they all came back. Oh, they all flooded in. All oh. flooded in. It's like son of a That's bitch. such a funny situation. So I get it. I get it. It's like here I am, you yeah. know, talking to you and it's like, tell me if I it's like, like what Yeah, what I think I'm gonna make a practice of like having remembering my lists of five favorites, whatever. Mm. Um but which film I I really love films that have that are ensemble casts and mm-hmm. that capture just relationships. So recently I watched The Big Chill. Mm, Do you know that? Yeah. And I just was enamored by that. I love The Big Chill. And then Diner. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. Oh, both oh, of them, but so fun. My favorite my favorite part in Diner, where I, I have I haven't done it with, with Salome yet. My goal is if you want to get married, and this is from the diner. Yeah. Remember when the uh, the guy gave his girlfriend uh, a the quiz? quiz. Yeah. The quiz about baseball. And it's like that's what I'm gonna do. That's what I'm gonna do. Oh my god, this is the best thing to meet someone who's that who's gonna follow the diner that much. Yeah. So, so I that's, go, if, if you want to get married, the there's a 100, 100 question. You got to fill it out. And if you and get what's five your team wrong, gonna be? What's oh, your it's gonna team? be about soccer. Soccer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Or football. Yeah. So, so I'm, a, I'm obsessed. Studying. I'm obsessed with soccer, the football. What's that team? What's your team again? <sighs> Barcelona. You say it with like, sorry to admit it. But uh, they're just playing like shit because they got a shitty oh. coach. They had a shitty president. Everything about them is shit except for a couple of players. So I'm just like, ugh. Do you, do you follow <laughs> soccer or football? No, no, uh, I don't. I used to when I was younger. Yeah, I did follow it a lot. But like my household is very sporty. So my dad always has sport on but we, we just kind of fell out of soccer uh, but we follow rugby all all the rugby mind oh, I you like rugby a lot. yeah and then we have our irish sports as well of gaelic and hurling so they just... i so that clear clarify that for me please so when people say do you speak gaelic you actually were saying it's irish yeah i have a little thing about this too because i don't understand why people say are you, do you speak Gaelic? Because we don't say that. We say, do you speak Irish? And then for the word Irish in 
Irish is Gaelga. So Gaelic, I don't think technically means Irish. Right. So, um, but yeah, uh, Gaelic. So in this case, we also call Gaelic the sport. There's two mm. Irish sports, hurling, which is with a stick called a hurl and a, like a tennis sized ball, but it's like as, it's nearly as hard as a golf ball, but soft, but um, that heavy. Oh, sorry, I don't know what I'm saying. But uh, that's called a slither. And then there's the other sport called Gaelic, which is with a football. And you can kick it, but you can also use your hands as well. Wow, talk about cheating. <laughs> no, talk about just aggressive, right. really getting the sport going. <laughs> Lots of concussions in that sport, or it's quite it's quite aggressive. It's not like rugby, and it's not like those type of tackles, but it's just really fast and uh, direct and mm, much more aggressive than soccer. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't compare. So when you watch soccer after watching Gaelic, you're like, "What is this game of <laughs> flimsy people falling over and diving all the time?" Yeah, what the hell. No. So uh, have you been in a couple of films or were you in any films? I've, um, I've been in some films doing background acting, mm-hmm. back to, like background extras, then done some short films, things. We did a good, Ridley Scott was filming here a few months ago. So there, nice. we had, yeah, we had a lot of work on that. That was fun. What was the film? Uh, it's, got, it's called The Last Jewel. Last Jewel? Um, yeah. What's that about? Do you know or? Uh, yeah, it's about uh, uh, like 14th century France, um, a jewel that happens between two friends. Oh, um, yeah. I'm sorry, I, I said jewel, but it's duel. Oh, yeah, this is the Irish accent on me. Yeah, we said jewel, but you would say duel. Duel, okay, yeah. sorry. Yeah. So, uh, so h- how's it been since? Um, since the Corona situation, what's going on with, with that in film and with, with the yeah. country? You're in your second it's, lockdown, right? We're in our third lockdown. Third lockdown. Yeah. Wow. Um, it's been, I think for a lot of people, it's, it's kind of been extremes. Like some people, it's been really good. It's just, you know, all of like rush hour manicness, having to be places and all that's just shut off. And it's given people a lot of headspace. And um, I think that's nice about it. But then obviously there's lots of people who've, lost jobs or lost people and things like that so there's there's mixed feelings in, in the air but you know Ireland is so small and also quite spacious and it's very easy just to kind of to still stay in your own keep your life going and moving and mm-hmm. um, yeah uh, there's I suppose different differing opinions about about it all mm-hmm. um, things are obviously quiet yeah lockdown people craving to actually see see people and I think I think some people are kind of losing not losing but a bit more upset recently because this lockdown that we're in now might be extended to kind of May-ish um so Mm. yeah it's 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 just like this massive freeze in life really yeah so uh and then in terms of film not much nothing's really going on there was a handful of productions going on over the past year and there's a few that will be going into production soon. So there's not many auditions really either. Um, but that's also the nature of Ireland. Like Ireland is so small that the amount of auditions that, you, that go on here is incomparable to what's going on in America. So Yeah. Do many people make a living as an actor in Ireland or just a handful? Just a handful. Yeah, really? definitely just a handful. 
um, there, there's some, there'd be a handful of theatre actors who would be like, like, you know, the same people doing all the theatre shows. Um, but they, they wouldn't be as well known. They wouldn't be well known, really. They'd be mm-hmm. really much the kind of artiste lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then there's a handful of film actors who wouldn't have gone further than Ireland, who would just be Irish film actors, let's say, in Irish productions. It might be in the odd international film. Mm-hmm. And then there's the handful of very successful Irish actors who are international abroad. Yeah, because what the article was saying is that, was that uh, if you wanted to become successful in, in the acting world in Ireland, you first go to America, become successful, then come back, and you'll be taken mm-hmm. care of. Yeah. It's, I really think with, um, with acting, it's, there really is no way. There is listening. I think the nature of acting and to get the most out of it is to listen to what's right for you and mm-hmm. what works for you. For some people, whether it's the way, the way of learning or the way of going about your career, some people it's to make it in Ireland first and then go away. And others it's, okay, go away and then you'll be flying when you get back. But see, the advantage with, with going in Ireland first is that the industry is so small. Mm-hmm. So it takes a while to crack. But then once you crack it, it's, it's very, you, you kind of reach all, all corners of it quite, quite quickly, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very easy to meet people and it's also a very amicable industry in Ireland <laughs> really it's, yeah yeah it's very nice people everyone in it is very nice and you wouldn't have as much of the drama as you might in other countries boy there's a drama here Whew. yeah 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 exactly <laughs> I think people forget as well with a lot of artistic things that if you want to make a living out of it you have to take the business side of it too you know the show biz mm-hmm. and and when you're, especially when you're starting off, there's a lot of business side to work with. Yeah. And the drama side. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of so, I mean, is it a good trade off? Is this, even though with all this drama and the drama you experience, is it still a good trade off for you? It's like, I'm still going to do it anyway? Or? Oh, yeah. 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 I think with me, I'm, re- I'm quite extremist in that, like, once I know what's right for me, I just go at it full, full length, mm-hmm. full haul. And the moment the penny dropped for acting, it was just no doubt that this is, this is 100% it. And there's also no doubt of or worry about not making it or whatever. It's just like, it will all happen at the right time. I'm doing the work. I love the lifestyle of, I mean, lifestyle of learning. Um, so yeah, 100% mm-hmm. committed to it, despite the disappointments that come with it. So Little Birdie told me that you love, 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 love doing accents. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so funny. It's true. Guilty, guilty. Doesn't mean I'm good at them, but I do have a good yeah. laugh doing them. All right. So go from your least to your strongest accent. What's your least what's your least strongest accent? The one that you like struggle with? Oh like loads. <laughs> um, <laughs> what do I I oh I'm I'm terrible at Spanish. Yeah. I, I can't get into it at all. I don't even know where to start. So sometimes, no. Can you do American Southern? American Southern. So, like, oh my God, now I know that, like, if, especially if American people listen to me, they're like, what on earth is that? <laughs> um, so they'd be like, down south, and I'd be talking to Henry down there, and sometimes we'd be going to get, like, some, I don't know, tractors or something, and we found a few tractors around the corner, so we got on 
And we just rode down the road with all these tractors, like a whole posse of tractors, you know? <laughs> That's pretty good. I think That's it needs good. a bit of work, but. I, I mean, as somebody who did live in the South, yes. You know, I, it, it is very That's, unique. It's a, yeah, my version was a complete botched up cliched version of Seth. Southern. No, no. It's, no, it's actually really compared to what I've heard people do from the North and they're, and they're no. But for somebody yeah. who's, yeah, no, 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 trust me. People ask me, like, oh, I can do Southern accents. Yeah, I can do, like, no, it's not Southern. I also think with accents, you kind of need to be in the, in the zone, mm-hmm. like listening to, at least ringing in your ear a bit. Yeah. So um, to have the ref, you kind of like surround yourself in it. Just as with anything, like get back in the game with it. Mm-hmm. It's so funny, like each state is a little different. Yeah. Like, you know, like Pennsylvania, their, their accent, they don't, uh, they don't say house, they say house. Oh, really? Yeah. So Pennsylvania is actually, from what I've read and what I've heard people talk about, the way people talk in Pennsylvania is the same exact way that people talk during Shakespeare's time. <gasps> so they say house, they don't say radiator, they say radiator radiator yeah that's so interesting and that's why i think it's really hard well not really hard but learning an american accent i'm always aware of because we just get taught a general american accent Mm -hmm. so like my general american accent is just like 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 this but i'm pretty sure that if i don't choose a place where i'm from it's too general so that i it's not believable enough do you know what i Mm -hmm. mean yeah because I don't have any of the idiosyncrasies that will come with wherever you're from. Yeah, it's true. Because like in Florida, they don't say medium, they say medium. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I was standing, uh, when I was eating fast food back in the day, I, I uh, was in a Burger King line and the woman said, I want a medium special. And, and I looked up and I was looking <laughs> around, what, where's me? What's, what was, yeah. what's that? <laughs> what's she getting that I'm not getting? And so I just leaned in the cashier when it was my turn. I said, what's a medium? She looked at me, <laughs> she looked at me funny. Said, it's medium, you know, medium right there. And like, oh, it's medium. Like, Got it. In between the big and the small. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then um, when I was in North Carolina, that I was stationed at Fort Bragg, they, um, the people there, the, it's very difficult to distinguish between pen and pin. Oh. Very oh. difficult. It, you had to you had to have lived there for a while when someone says, can I have pain? And, eh. and you're, you're thinking about the situation you're in. So if someone's yeah. holding a notebook, like, oh, they want a pen. Yeah. You know, or, you know, so, like their clothing is undone or something. Can I have pain? So it's very. You just got to look at the context. You got to look at the context. Otherwise, you're just like, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. I don't have either a pen or a pen. Well, I'll give you. Yeah, exactly. But there's like little things like that. The E's and the I's are very, it's very similar. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it, I had to live there in order to understand that. <laughs> to actually, yeah. That. A quick interruption. After the interview, Ivan sent a better version of her southern accent to us. And it's, it is better. Hello there, Salmay. <laughs> now, your friend Chris, and I assume by the little tidbit of information that he got from you... He reminded me of how much I do get a kick out of doing accents, but he really got me off guard when he threw the southern at me. Oh boy, I didn't get that right at all. The only thing I've been playing with these days is uh, general American and uh, English and just kind of some local stuff. 
So yeah, I was not ready for that one. I did a shameful rendition of a Southern. I rambled about some tractors or something, which is even worse because then I did cliche on cliche. So uh, I thought I'd better try redeem myself just a fraction. I am been no way saying or believing that this is it, but I'm pretty sure that it might be a little better. Anyway, yeah, it was great seeing you guys. Now back to the interview. But um, is there a director that you burn to work with? Like you're mm. like I, I will take off years of my life. I want to work with. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I think I really want to work with Luca Guadamini. Wow, good choice. Yeah, yeah. Good choice. And what 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 about the work that attracted you? I think it's his. It's what he gets out of the relationships, you know, mm-hmm. the relationships between the moments that he catches on screen with people. Mm-hmm. Um, I just find there's kind of a softness or a, a real beauty in an air of human beauty that imbue his, his films. What was the one film that you liked more than the other? Well, the, yeah, for certain Call Me By Your Name. That mm-hmm. just melted me. But I also watched uh, one of his called The Big Splash. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved that as well. It's just the, again, the, the relationships. But Call Me By Your Name totally just melted me. Mm. But speaking of relationships, what's life like living with parents and your siblings? Mm, yeah, well, it's no siblings, just my parents. I'm oh, the youngest. Just, you're the youngest? Uh, yeah, so my, well, my brother's, he's just driving up the, Driving now, my brother has four kids and he lives um, just 10 minutes away from my parents' house. Okay. And then my two sisters live elsewhere. But so coming back to the parents, it's, it's, I suppose it's a combination of, I think, well, I'm, I'm really, I think we're really encouraged in the modern world to, to leave home really quickly. Mm-hmm. And, and I, because we had such independence from a very young age, like, you know, living, leaving our parents for a few months when we were 11, I think it kind of got us over that pressure of I need to prove myself and live away. Mm-hmm. So then when college came around as well, like there wasn't even, we didn't have to bat an island, island about moving out or anything. Cause we'd, mm-hmm. we'd also gone for various pa- uh, stages during school for a few months to France again. So then it was actually kind of in my third or fourth year in college, I started to come home more and actually spend time with parents. And I had this thought of, well, I'm really, it's, a great opportunity and really lucky to get to come live with parents again. Like your parents won't be around forever. Um, yeah. <laughs> I get proof yeah. Of that. yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Yeah. So they're it's like, okay, I'll take the opportunity. But it obviously comes with a lot of frustration as well, aside from mm-hmm. the, the rosy um, view of it. I, I really value my space. I love having my own space because I, I love just curating everything in it. You know, like the specific way the cup is turned means something to me, whatever I put on the windowsill, like everything. It just nourishes me so much. I'm big into environments. So it's one thing that I don't like when I'm at my parents' house is that I realize I'm still in, I'm in their space. You know, I can't mm-hmm. come in and change everything. So that would be one challenge. But there's so many perks, you know, like it's like being part of a unit again, you know, like the mom will cook dinner and there's, I like it as well in terms of work and that I just have less to think about and mm-hmm. more time to put on work because my mom will great, luckily invites me to the dinner table every night and um, 
I don't have to like take care of the house myself. There's other people here doing their bits and stuff. So Mm -hmm. I like that it gives me more time to focus on my own work. Um, But then it's, yeah, it's limiting when you're just in someone else's space, when you're in your parents' space as well. Like I'm not bringing friends over all the time. Mm-hmm. But my, that said, my parents are so easygoing and lovely and open. So I can have people over and we have a lot of space and where we are in the country. So it's, yeah, it's like some, I think, I also think coming back to your parents when you're older, it brings things, things to the surface. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, you know, once they move out, then they just come back for weekends with their parents and it's just kind of a honeymoon thing all the time, honeymoon mm-hmm. stage. But when you really spend more time than that's when you really delve into a relationship. So sometimes you might, it can be deceiving that you think you have a really good relationship with your parents because you're only seeing them for like 24 to 72 hours and there isn't enough time for anything to simmer or to come to the surface. Mm-hmm. So it does put your relationship on the spot in the spotlight and make you excavate it a bit more and it can bring out more sorrows, but I do think it brings you closer to them and it gives you a much deeper, richer relationship mm-hmm. with them yeah. do you, are your parents some uh, do they allow you to be free thinkers or do they yeah yeah, yeah. they they do our, uh, our parents are great they're extremely uh what's the word like unimposing mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, is that even a word? they That's never word. yeah they never they just gave us loads of opportunities but never told us any way to do anything and which ironically because i think we had so much freedom we never did any of the stuff that a lot of our friends as teenagers would have had to rebel against their parents to do, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so they, you know, it's not even that they, they encourage us. It's that there's just so much space there. They don't even need to encourage us because it's kind of, it's like a, an invisible force. that's just going there anyway, that mm-hmm. there's just a really open space of exploring whatever you're into. Um, I suppose they'd give us all the opportunities to do that. Expose us to a lot of things. And they're very, they're very easygoing themselves. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're lucky because like all my siblings as well, we're all very different in what fields we're in. Oh, how many siblings? Uh, there's four of us all together. Four. And you're the youngest yeah. of them? Yeah. Yeah. What's it like being a baby of four older? It's the best. <laughs> <laughs> I love being the youngest. Um, yeah. Were you spoiled? Because... No, I wasn't spoiled. I, no. Nobody in our family was really spoiled in... Well, but are your siblings good examples to you or yeah they they were but all they were definitely examples but sometimes siblings or anyone can be misleading examples mm-hmm. you know and that well, mine were because, for sure yeah. yeah because you they're just older so you just think oh i'll follow them then you mm-hmm. realize you don't realize that you're following them into a place that you don't want to go <laughs> yeah so i think uh i think myself and my next sister might have sometimes started going down the path that our oldest because my brother is the oldest and then there's three girls but the older sister we probably would have kind of just mindlessly started being interested in, in things that she was interested in or trying to behave the way she did in terms of um say academia my older sister is very academic so we but also it's the nature of you're encouraged to put all your energy into academia there's not much other avenues when you're a kid you know it's just about school and sports maybe so we put, like my older sister, we definitely followed her example of being very sporty and very academic and things. And probably then, as with a lot of people, it's not until you get to college and you kind of break free that you start to find your own interests a bit more. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Yeah. yeah. So in your space, do you, do you have like vision boards? What, what's the space? Yeah. 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 Oh, so like I said, I'm in Dublin now and I have a great space there, a great apartment. And in my space, I have my vision boards of like actors that I like, or even just moments in films that I might've just screenshotted. Cause I just love that moment or I love that interaction between two people. Um, and then my space as well, I really, I love curation. It's, I've got lots of like dried flowers or crystals and salt lamps and. Um, crystals, really? So, yeah, begin to having all those crystals around. What and, about um, it that attracts you? I think it's, it's like, <laughs> sounds very airy fairy, but the power of them and mm-hmm. the energy that they hold, mm-hmm. um, the, the aesthetics, the aesthetic, I love the, there's like a, just that crystalline quality about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, I'm just kind of, I'm getting very into sacred geometry and things too. So I have wow. lots of that stuff around. Nice. I was yeah. into it for a little while and I just, I don't know, anything, anything above one plus one is too over my head for me. Okay. So <laughs> what, uh, going general. Yeah. So what, what, what did you find out in sacred geometry? Oh, wow. It's, um, so well, I don't know like where to start with this with the the just how it's all it's all in nature and all the passions are are we're mirrors of everything that's going on mm-hmm. um so you know like the the golden ratio and the fibonacci ser- or sequence and also a lot of the things that is the symbols that are used in churches or in religions and organizations and the meanings of them and where they actually come from and how we've misinterpreted them today. Mm-hmm. Um, like even this morning, I was listening to something about what the meaning of the, the hat that the Pope wears. Mm-hmm. This is a bit sidetracked from the sacred geometry, but it's like that, that comes from a, a fish god or something. That's why the, the opening of the hat looks like a fish's head. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and then like say, yeah, with the Vatican and the, the pine cone symbolism, which is linked to the pineal gland, Mm-hmm. So I'm into I'm into all this kind of quantum physics and uh, the vibration and frequency in space and Nikola Tesla and uh, all that realm of stuff. So I have. Have you been interested in ayahuasca or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. and all down that road as well. Oh, you've done it. Yeah. What was yeah, your experience had, like? Oh, it's crazy. So yeah. so amazing and um, really really intense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just going to have to get my charger like it's probably one of the most excruciating pains I've ever felt as well really I mean it yeah. was spiritually painful or physically or both 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 I think yeah energetically mentally physically because it's not just I think it, some people might think it's just meant to be this kind of fairy tale cool trip but it's like no deep cleanser soul whole body purging all that um so yeah it was actually it was one you know those kind of paradoxes of being the most excruciating thing and the most rewarding thing afterwards (laughs) what did you discover i discovered definitely uh um ancestral things that kind of blocked in the lineages like i felt like i had insights into things that went on in my parents' families and stuff like that. And then when I spoke to my parents afterwards, I like, got clarification. And I believe that all these memories get stored and passed on into 
until somebody kind of purges them from their body. So the things like the sensations that I experienced in my body, and then I related them to my parents. They're like, oh yeah, well that happened and this happened and this happened. So it kind of made sense then. Um, and then actually for me personally, then I was like, there was one sequence where I was going through a lot of like agony around my neck. Mm-hmm. And was, I was, so yeah, I went through that sequence of just feeling like I was pulling loads of like chains and things off my neck. Mm. And that was kind of related to just having a, blo- a blocked kind of voice or throat chakra and not mm. like speaking your truth. And um, it was really relatable. And then like, after that ceremony, I was singing loads and like finally opening up my voice and everything. So yeah, that was just, there's obviously I could go on and on. It was a four day thing. No, it was so, in Costa Rica or? Yeah, that was in Costa Rica. Okay. Because I know that's where I, my next... I've done it three times in the States. I, d- I did it once in Denver and twice in upstate New York, but I wish I had done it in oh, somewhere wow. like a sacred spot. So I was really lucky that I had a, a brilliant introduction to it because it's a really powerful medicine and you, you know, you're dealing with really strong energies and spirits. And I think if you don't have a good shaman and a good person holding space, it's, it can be quite disruptive to you maybe. And, and also just not getting as much out of it. Mm-hmm. So I was so lucky to have my first one as a, that was somebody who was really, really good. It was a guy from Colombia and um, it was a really powerful ceremony in space where we did it. So that gave me a superb grounding and understanding for the, the process and what it is. Mm-hmm. So, cause then when I did a couple of ceremonies after that with different shamans in different places, I had a really good grounding to be able to kind of navigate myself um, because I realized that, they just there's people that we did it with weren't good and then the ceremony people whose first time it was or who never had very good shamans didn't kind of got lost in the ceremony or else just had a crap time or else didn't get anything any discovery or journey at all so yeah I would definitely be quite very supportive of ensuring that it's it's an authentic and strong shaman who knows what he's doing Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, I went the first time I was in Denver. A lot of, a lot of people dressed up in the white. You know, they had the white yeah. belt on, the white shirt, the white trousers, and everything. They had the guitars, and I just felt like it was a bunch of people who want to trip out and and sing, uh, you know, sing these guitars and think like they're the Beatles. And I, I didn't get a full experience out of it. I mean, like the first time I did it was amazing. Like I got a vision of oh, my future, and it's like, okay, wow. all right, that's my future. Yeah, it was really something. Else. The second time I was in the ninth room of hell. That was fun. You were where? In the ninth realm of hell. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so the guardian came over to me and I was just at peace. I just, you know, I know it's an introduction to the spirit world and if, you know, I I know they're not going to hurt me. It's not going to, you know, but yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. That's uh, yeah. Wow. Like you can have such variety of, of experiences and it definitely is the cliche of like the medicine gives you what you need and what you're ready for. Um, Yeah, it's true. Like, because my, my experience was really about cleaning out and purging and kind of getting rid of blocks and things. And it was, it was very intense and, um, like I said, painful. But And I, I think there's other people then, I think, that just had this really flowery experience. But a lot of people who have flowery experiences is because they're either not being led or not ready to actually dive into themselves. Mm-hmm. So, like you said, there there's a lot of people, too, who just have this dreamy vision of of kind of tripping out and then that's all they get yeah 
It's true. That's it. That's all you get it's out not, of it. Yeah. 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 And it's just a once-off experience. Whereas, like, one of the things our shaman said to us that really stuck with me, he said, because, you know, you have your opening ceremony, your closing ceremony, and he was like, you've got to remember, this isn't just about this weekend. This is the beginning. You know, this is the beginning of you stepping into the kind of new, the new phase or version of you that you've discovered after cleaning out this weekend or after discovering what you have this weekend now the challenge is to to go forward with this this new way you know mm-hmm. so the point is like this it's not that this is the end of a ceremony or a ritual this is we've done the work and now go out and take it forward kind of yeah yeah learn the lesson and yeah. you know help, help others out i i would recommend people do it over like obviously not schizophrenics and and people suffering from bipolar i, I don't recommend that but if you can do it, go for it. I mean, it oh, makes yeah. a huge difference in my life. Huge. Yeah, yeah. it's really profound. Um, Did you throw up? Oh, yeah. Jeez. Yeah. The thing is, my, my mom's cooking was so bad that I was just used to terrible things in my stomach and having, you know, painful stomach all the time. So it didn't bother me at all. Oh, really? Yeah, that's so yeah. interesting. I was like, well, oh. our, our shaman said, um, so a lot of the purging was <laughs> that sometimes you could be purging out your mouth sometimes you could purging out the other end mm-hmm. but if it was like the other end that that tends to be the medicine doing its physical it had a lot of physical work to do in your body and a lot of physical cleansing yeah where when it was out the mouth that it was more um energetic cleansing mm-hmm. yeah then an- another thing that would happen a lot would people would kind of air wrench so he described that air wretch i mean like wretch to wretch yeah <laughs> Um, and that was just that was um, emotional cleansing, like just like literally throwing up all the, the emotions that were stuck in. Wow. I mean, would you do it again? Or do you don't think you need to do it again? Well, I definitely think I, I undoubtedly need to. We all know. Well, yeah, I do need to. There's constant work to be done on self. But I, it would depend. So I think I believe strongly in yeah, in doing it in, in the regions that it belongs to. So, you know, it's it's a part of the South American, isn't it South American mm-hmm. culture? So if I ended up in a situation, I'm pretty certain I probably will end up doing it again, but my criteria would be that it was in the indigenous place with authentic people and the tribes. Because mm-hmm. um, I also believe that, you know, not every place in the world has this medicine. So each place in the world has its own medicine. Yeah. In Ireland, I think um, mushrooms be kind of more of the the medicine to go for, and yeah. to have those rituals. So, yeah, I I would if if the right opportunity came, I would do it, but I wouldn't be seeking it out. But I'm always seeking. I'm constantly doing, seeking ways to, to discover more of myself and clean out more of myself. Mm-hmm. Just whichever right way comes up, that's what I'll be jumping on. So getting to now how we met. Yeah. Was in upstate New York. Yeah. Um, and so what was your impression of not only, uh, you spent three months, what, three months here? Yeah, three yeah. months. So what was your impression of not only Hillsdale, but America itself? Oh, yeah. You know, I, I really love America. <laughs> I yeah. mean, I've had good experiences in America. Um, and I know what it, I think what's interesting about America is that there's just extremes in everything. So even when I say with the food, you get extreme 
terrible fast food, but you get the extremes of the amazing producers and there are, there's so many people at the forefront in America of of interesting food um, growing and, and innovations and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I love that I really feel that there's so many ideas in America and people really go for their ideas. And I like that about, especially in LA, there's that, everyone's there going after their dream, which I admire because as we kind of mentioned earlier in the conversation in Ireland, it's, there's that feeling of, Oh, look at your one who wants to be an actor. She's going off trying to be a singer. Yeah. No. (laughs) So I love the, the go getter attitude and the positive attitude of the Americans. And I never tire of that positivity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I really like that about America. I like that. There's just so many different things and types of, ideas and things going on and communities and ways of living um and i the places i i don't know america America that well at all compared to how big it is but the places i've been i've really loved like i spent some time in new hampshire i loved that the the feeling of the land there i absolutely adore upstate new york uh, around hudson where we've been where we met um and then with the cities like new york and la it's the people and the fact that loads of people are there going after what they want. I really mm. love that. And mm. I love that it's it's the hub of kind of ideas. I, I thoroughly enjoy walking around cities and discovering just little shops and businesses and just seeing people's ideas in action. Mm. So I like that a lot. But I'm very earth conscious and connected to nature. And so wouldn't think cities wouldn't be that supportive, supportive of cities. And like I said, I can feel myself... Um, really getting out of balance when I'm in the city too long but the nature of a city is to connect people too and community so I, I like that bit about cities too mm-hmm. so I think ideally I'll live in upstate New York and pop into New York City when I need to and then go back to some dream land in Hudson mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean do, what, what is your what is your opinion about uh like the Trump and the Capitol riots and what's been going on in America what's what's your point of view on that yeah you know quite honest I don't think I'm I've any really good answers to say on that because I I specifically don't know <laughs> intentionally don't know enough about it it's not something I'd like to fill my head with um I I probably curate what I put into my head I used to actually be mad into the news and you know read the newspaper and things every day and then I just had this phase of this is all stale news the next day and why do we kind of prioritize and and also we have decided that it's 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 good to know about what's going on in politics mm. and in the world. And I just had this thought of like, okay, I believe this, but wait, why do I believe this? Why is it? Why should I know what's going on in current affairs and all this? That like, uh, it doesn't interest me really if I'm that honest. So, and I I don't want to put my time into learning about this stuff. There's lots of things that I do prefer learning about now. So, um, yeah, I stopped listening to news and all those current affairs. And I know a lot of people probably think it's maybe ignorant or living in another reality. But, yeah, I choose not to really listen to that anymore or follow it. Well, then I'm in the same boat with you because I have, I've done the same things. You know, as you well know, I don't have a TV. I don't have cable. And as I tell people, when they, they're, they're actually shocked when I tell them I don't have cable or TV. And I like, how do you live? Like, what do you do? And I just, why would I pay somebody to waste my time? I fully agree with you there. And also yeah. what I, what it gets me too, is that people don't realize that they're just being told the same message over and over and over, over and again. over. Yeah. Yeah. 
you think that you're making your own decision, but you've been totally colored by all these same thoughts being pushed into your head over and over. So it's hard to have that free will, even if you think you're choosing the right thing or I mean your own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, it was great to have you here and great to spend time with you. And, and what I liked mostly about meeting all of y'all was all of y'all. That's my little Southern, little Southern comes yeah. out of me every night. <laughs> um, was it, you know, how, how you all looked at, at, at us, mm. you know, I think now it's like where America's a stage and we're receiving a lot of criticisms, rightly so, for our behavior. And it's like, you know, when you do a scene on stage, you're going to get criticized. Your peers are there yeah. and the teacher's there and you, okay, this is how I can make adjustments. But I think for me, we saw something completely ridiculous, something completely asinine, something completely maddening. And there's no criticism I have. We can never do this again. Why we shouldn't? It's, it's mostly Trump, 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 Trump. It's like, no, it's us. Trump has yeah. a symptom. It's us. You know, and I think that's, that's where I'm, I'm hoping that people, because we, we criticize ourselves to the point where we don't hear each other. But if we hear mm. criticism outside of, or, or, or out of this country, hopefully somebody will take note of that and say, okay, this is how we can change. You know, that's what I'm hoping. I see. For. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, I suppose one thing that did um, definitely caught my attention was like everyone's criticizing Trump, but I just I think it's more down to the fact that he com he convinced more than half the country or whatever to vote him in. So mm -hmm. like he's just a little he's just the the kind of surface diamond, but there's the whole other the whole underneath that gave him that power. So right, um, I think it, it is all focused on Trump, 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 but it's like well whatever he did, he's, it's the people that he led to put him in that position. Right. It wasn't a military coup. It was the people got together and said, we want him more than we want Hillary. I've told mm. my friends, I've told my friends this, uh, you know, like, especially my friends in uh, Barcelona, they're, they were, they're actually more worried than we were about the capital riots. And I told them, I said, America needs an enema. And uh, <laughs> we really do. I think Yeah. We need a total cleansing, you know, like a big ayahuasca. Oh my God, experience. Yeah. Totally. It, yeah, it is crazy. I remember a good few years ago, actually, I was thinking, I wonder what it would be like if just, if America just didn't exist. And I don't mean that in a way, like get rid of just because it's the the main force in the world. Just what would happen mm -hmm. if you just cleared away all the structures that we just tend to follow over and over again. But that's why I do think this, all that's going on is really interesting because it's completely obliterating structure and norm and everything that we mindlessly follow mm -hmm. so okay. and i do think that's been one of the perks of the trump thing and everything that it's while it's led a lot of people to not think and to be followers it's also led or brought a lot of people into a territory of thinking and of choosing for themselves and of questioning everything mm -hmm. right mm. but one thing speaking of which um i my experience in ireland um mm. So a little bit of a little bit of giving back here to Ireland. Um, what I found incredibly attractive about Irish women when I was in Dublin was their independence. Okay. Yeah. I found it to be really, really like beautiful. Um, however, I find that that the people I've met in Ireland, including the men, they had a hard yeah. time taking compliments. Oh, that's so true. Oh yeah, nobody can take a compliment, and that's something I noticed then about Americans that you'd compliment them and they'd say, thank you. 
<laughs> that's the end of the conversation. But in Ireland, you compliment them, and then you have a tennis game back and forth of of saying yes, no, ah, no, 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 no. Yours is really nice. No, yours is really nice, and you just end up complimenting each other to deflect the compliment that you just received. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's. I couldn't believe it. I was just talking to a few people. Oh, that's really cool. Well, it's, it could be cool, but it's not really. It's like you're right. And I was just like, okay, I just won't do this anymore. <laughs> Actually, that reminds me as well. When I first started acting, one class that I was in, it said, learn to, to kind of be proud of what you do. They said the difference between an American actor and an Irish actor, I think it was Irish or British. They said, the American actor will say, uh, oh, or so the casting director might say, oh, I see you had the lead in this. And they said, yeah, yeah, I was the lead actor in this. Whereas the Irish actor they'll say, oh, you were in this play. And they're like, oh, yeah, it was just a, a small little part, you know, something, just mm. a small part. And it's like, no, they were the lead in the main production of the year or whatever. Yeah, but and really starts writing it and shit. So, yeah. Yeah, but it's just something small I just did on the side, you know. I just love to downplay things. So my, my independence uh, experience when I was in the bar, obviously, you know, I forgot the name of the bar and everything. But when I was, I made my way over to the one, chair that was there by the bar and i was ordering um you know i was ordering my drinks and stuff and my pints i'm sorry ordering my pint and um and so i happened to have a conversation you know just oh i'm sorry did i did i nudge you too hard no 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 and then i then talked to this woman and i had to yeah. get going like a couple hours later and i was it was a great conversation and i took some money out to pay for both of our drinks and then she just looked at me and just said what are you doing um and I was, you know, it was like crowding your space. And so I backed up a little bit and I said, I'm sorry, what, what, what was I doing? Did I tell you to pay for my drink? <laughs> and I said, oh my no, God. no, I just, you know, it's being friendly and being American. This is what we do in America. It's like, no, no, you ask, you ask if I, you know, if we want to share, what? I was like, okay, got it. Uh, would you like okay. to touch? And she said, no, you can pay for it. <laughs> okay. Oh, so. yeah. She just wanted to like state her case and then still wanted the free drink. Yeah. So I was like, okay, great. This is, this is something that uh, I will know next time. Do you want me to pay for it? I'll ask questions. Well, that's funny. I don't know if that's a total reflection. I think any Irish person would gladly receive a free drink. <laughs> really? That's what I would, that's what I was really shocked by. She was like, you know, don't assume yeah. that you're going to pay for it. Okay. You know, I just, I just thought I was just being friendly, but yeah, it was kind no, of, I, I'd say hold, hold on to that friendliness. Kristen. <laughs> um, it's a nice gesture, and I do think most people would be really thankful and think that's a really nice thing to do. And on top so, of that, just be like, yeah, free drink. Your love for the States so much that you're wearing a Mickey Mouse. Uh, oh, my God, yeah. There was moments where I just saw myself on camera and was hoping that you aren't going to notice my, my <laughs> Mickey Mouse attire. You, it's uh, a Mickey Mouse. Have, you have love for Mickey Mouse and Disney? It's... It's this stretch. I don't know. I've had this since I'm like 12. Since I was about 12. When I'm at home, I just wear clothes and I forget that other people will actually see me. You know, that other people see that I have an external body that people see and that they'll notice what ridiculous clothes I put on. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So this wouldn't be my first choice of of attire normally, but uh, it's one of those rags that you catch. And put on when you're at home so i just have some questions about the government um so back when rome was very powerful there was there was the celts i believe my my 
poor Irish remembrance of Irish history. There were the Celts, the pagans, they had their own religion. They just wanted to go and have their own religion away from Rome, which was starting to be very, very Catholic at that point. Um, mm-hmm. So then that's when the pagans, you know, or, or the Celts, whatever, went to Ireland and they settled in there. But over time, it, the pagan religion started dissipating away and the Catholic religion started becoming more and more powerful. Am I correct? Or Yeah, to an extent, in that the reason the pagan and the Druids would have um, gone under is, was because of the pressure of, the, of, the, of, the, of Christianity. So mm-hmm. when they were introduced to Ireland, they would have tried to disguise it under pagan beliefs so like rituals and sacred sites they were always done on the pagan sites so mm. all this like even bridget the, the most recent um holiday that we've just had saint bridget that was the, that's the christianized version of of um bridget which is one of the druid druid beliefs of that um mm. she's the one uh one of the druid goddess or celtic goddess yeah. Um, so it was more, it was just that uh, paganism got, got stamped out by the pressures of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And is it still practice? Uh, is, it, is it starting to become a, um, a growing religion again, or is it still? Um, it's, it's certainly the minority, and most people wouldn't know what you're talking about. But I think there is a resurgence. More people are interested in it now because there's obviously a, a total drop off of religion in Ireland compared to what it used to be mm-hmm. you know like when it used to be that every child that grew up was, was going to be going to church every Sunday but now you know like all my friends they were, out of my friends growing up in school there was only maybe 10% of people that actually went to mass every Sunday holy cow and yeah um, and with all the scandals then just a lot of people have totally dropped religion and the church and everything so mm. It's not such a common thing. It's very much part of the tradition and the history, but not a modern a modern practice really anymore. Um, but it is rooted in society and in systems and institutions here. So there would be a lot of discussion about that, I think, because schools would be linked to the church. But yeah. even so, people would not be happy with that because their people are going to these Catholic schools, but nobody's actually Catholic. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's like Trinity yeah, College, so obviously. It's just part- oh, yeah, and it's funny that you say that because it's something that wouldn't even enter into my mentality of thinking. You, you know, I wouldn't even notice, oh, is it Catholic or Protestant or what no. the religion is with it, associated with it. So I know that um, there, there are a lot of riots, uh, riots or up, uh, upheaval going on in Ireland. So that's when they took the Protestants from England and they brought them over to Ireland to kind of balance things out a little bit. And that's why in... Northern Ireland, you have the, the opposition between Catholics and Protestants. Um, and when they were trying to go for independence, the Protestants wanted, didn't want the independence from England, and, and the uh, Catholics did want the independence. So they all wanted to be one island. You know, no, no. no. Mm. I read that there might be an Irish unification again because of the Brexit. Is that true? Oh, God. So similar enough to my not knowing much about what's going on in America. There's just been so much faffing around with this. It's really complicated um, what the laws would be and them trying to sort out the borders and things. So there was a little 
um, mini resurgence maybe that type of thinking but nothing big enough for it to be mainstream um it's not it's not in the near future or anything like that it's it's not in our common uh conversations i haven't heard that mm. spoken about at all really mm. um we just know that it's a complicated mess at the moment with Brexit and the borders and because England and Ireland used to have, would have these kind of special relationships that are a bit different from the European ones um, in terms of trade and all that stuff. But now it's, it's all being redone and complicated. So don't really know how anything is working. Like for the first time ever, we've experienced not or having to pay tax on things from England, which used to not be a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting delays and all the delivery and posted problems. So I don't know. It's it's just a, a bit of a mess and something that I don't follow because I'm like, it's whether whatever happens, it will happen. So me me getting worried or following it isn't going to change any of it. Would you want an independent Ireland? Would I want an independent Ireland? You know, I say yes with with um, just kind of innocent. Uh, yeah, so I'd say yes, but again, it's not something I'm fighting for or against, or that is ever in my realm of thinking. It's we never re- like it's it's not just me as well. Amongst anyone I know, we've never even articulated that thought or had these conversations because they don't really exist in our in our daily lives or anything like that. If it comes on the cards. Yeah, like why wouldn't I want the whole land and the island to be unified as the way it was? But it's I know it's it's a sensitive topic for a lot of people and it's wrapped up in a lot of history. Um so yeah, I would say yeah, of course, to have the unified country, but it's again it's it's uh, it's kinda of, it's not something that we ever really think about or and also oh, I'm of the generation that would have missed being affected by it, you know. I, like you know the first time I was somebody asked me about the north and the south was when I was away somewhere mm-hmm. and it was it really took me by surprise because it's just we don't it's not a thing for us it's not a it's not a schism or a again like I said my generation didn't experience any of it too so it's just the whole tension doesn't exist for us and to have even thoughts or opinions on it didn't really enter my domain or our domain either so, yeah, um, I remember just being very taken aback because we never really noticed ourselves as as it being something to talk about or be worried about or have opinions on or also being very aware of the separation. I wouldn't really be aware of that either. How did the yes, how did the the Catholic and Protestant war affect your parents? Again, they wouldn't have been directly affected by it. Um, they would have lived through those times and heard the atrocities going on on the news. But, you know, like my mum and dad, my dad's from Galway, my mum's from Dublin. And once you're not involved in it, you're not involved in what was going on. Uh So they weren't directly impacted by it. And I would just kind of get on with life. You know, it's like I said, they would have just been been living through it in the same way that we're living through all that's going on in the world right now but we're not we might not be directly involved in it but we can witness it uh, somebody i used to know i don't i haven't spoken to him in years but somebody i used to know told me a story that when he was in dublin 
he was just walking down the street one day and some guy came out of out of an alley, put a knife to his throat and held him. And he said, Catholic or Catholic or Protestant. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my friend, of course, is he's not neither. He's, you know, he's, he's and so he didn't know what to say except Jewish. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and then the, and so the guy laughed and let him go, you know. But uh, it, it got that bad, you know, it got really bad to the point where yeah. like, my buddy had a, a knife to his throat, Catholic or Protestant. Yeah. You know? Um I know it's 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 interesting as well. It's it's I know sometimes more foreigners know about it than we do, like my generation of it as well. We just because I also I remember when I got I had friends from the north because I was doing this kind of youth European Parliament things, um, and I was only from being friends with them that became more aware of it because we were very sheltered down south. Like there's just no issues going on in our sphere. But then speaking to those guys was like, oh no, this is still a, a topic, a, a daily topic or, and a, some an issue that's going on all the time. So yeah, I can understand how some people have just really direct experiences with it and intense experiences. And But at the same time, if you're, sometimes it can be as simple as geographical location means that you're just not exposed to mm. to the issues or things that are going on. Mm. So before we go, I need to know one thing because I've looked up a couple, couple meanings, but I wanted to know, you know, get it from the source, get it from the land itself. What does slagging oh, mean? God, slagging means uh, like making a joke out of someone, like pulling the piss or um, mocking. Mocking somebody? Okay, cool. Yeah. All right. Is that an Irish thing? I didn't know it was an Irish thing. I, I heard in Ireland, and so I was just like, yeah, what's slagging? So I, he- I heard that more than I did when I was in England. So I, I just oh, heard that's it funny. Yeah, no, we definitely use that word all the time, but I didn't realize it was unique to us, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, thank you so much for your time. You were super open and welcoming and, and sharing your life and sharing your time with me. And the most precious thing on this planet is time, more so than anything, more so than horses for me, you know. Um, but you know what's funny is like there was a saying in the older times like two things you need to do to work with horses um, and this was when it was like an aristocratic sport one was money and the second was time Yeah, you just need time time is precious yeah, time. time you learn it all through time Yeah, and horses are a very good judge of character they really are they are they are they yeah. definitely it's, but um, you're the best and you know we're, we're leaving here in um, just the summer no way. Where are you yeah. going? Um, well, the landlord is selling this place and I don't blame him. I'm sure he wants to go somewhere warmer. He's like 83 years old. And even for someone like mm. me, who's 52, the winters up here can be kind of brutal. Um, okay. Especially if you work outside in the cold and stuff like that. So they can yeah. be quite brutal. Um, because I have an obsession to find out like what temperatures, uh, what the weather's like all over the world. So we are quite uh. comparable to Moscow. The weather here. Whoa, I did not expect that. Yeah. I mean, they get a little bit colder at times. They get, you know, a few times, a few days of the week, they get like low zero weather. And we haven't gotten that far, you know, knock on wood. But um, we've gotten damn close. We've gotten like two degrees one night. So, whoa. Which is probably, I don't know, like minus 20 Celsius where you, where you are. But uh, yeah, it gets really, really cold. So if we don't find anything up here. And the rent up here is absolutely friggin' nuts. Is it? Oh, it's like the hotspot now, is it? Well, because everybody wants out of New York City. They want out of the major cities. 
the suburbs are going to be saturated. And that's what people want to do. They want to get out of the city. There's a lot of turmoil in the cities and stuff like that. So they, mm-hmm. you know, the cities are showing, showing the true colors, especially in New York City. I will not move back there. I mean, I might go back for a month or so to kind of, you know, do things. And to me, it's like a, a home. It's not a home for me. And if you can't yeah. live in your own home, it's not home. That's so, not home, certainly. Yeah. So I'm glad you agree. Yeah. <laughs> I just no, need I'm to convince big- Alameda that. <laughs> I'm definitely big into home and feeling of the space because it's what fuels you. Your, your space is the petrol every day. Exactly. And I feel really strongly about that space. And I, I think people don't take space seriously enough or realize how much potential space has to feed you and fuel you and nourish you and make you happy or unhappy. Yeah. And we will, we will be announcing something within the next year that you are going to like. <laughs> yes. But please ask your parents at some point, because it looks beautiful there. Please ask them if I can come spend like a summer, I'll work on the farm, work with the horses, do what I can. Um, you've, already, you've already got the invitation. Okay, cool. But Definitely. You, no, one, my parents are very, like I said, they're really open. Anyone we send their direction, they'll have open doors to. And there's so much, yeah, this is where we live. It's, it's really great. Um, I think, yeah, Ireland, Ireland might be a good spot for you guys. But where we are in Galway is really nice. We've got the sea, the river, lake and forest and, you know, countryside is all at the, at the stones throw away. So that's the blessing of living in Ireland is that everything's so close. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful country. It really is. And when people say Ireland green, it's like, yeah. yeah, it truly is one of the more beautiful places yeah. on the planet. No, I, I love it there. The cliffs. I love the cliffs. Yeah. You know, I love, love good Irish oh, uh, yeah. ballads and stuff like that in a bar and pub cultures and stuff like that. I miss that stuff. So, but anyway, you are the best. You really are. And it's great no. to get to know you. It's great to yeah. get to know your world. And I'm so deeply uh, thankful and grateful that you've shared your time with me and Chris it was such a pleasure thank you for taking interest thank you for asking good questions and listening to my rambles and rants and figuring out and uh, yeah some of the stuff I might not believe already mm-hmm. <laughs> like I said, some might be stronger but um, yeah it was a pleasure to talk to you thank you for well, taking time you take care I'll talk to you later yeah lovely to see you All right, take care bye-bye Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to our website, thefullpodcast.com, and follow us. We'd appreciate your support. More episodes are soon on their way.